When God says go, he went. When God said call, he called. When God said get up, he got up. When God said remain, he remained. And I began thinking of my life. Would that be said of me? When I think of all the things that maybe when I came to the end of my life, I'd want people to say, would someone say something as simple as, when God said speak, Dan spoke. When God said go, Dan went. When God said share the love of Christ, Dan shared the love of Christ. When God said forgive, Dan forgave. Would that be me? Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. You know, we all face those times in life when we know what the Lord would have from us. It may not always be comfortable or be what we had envisioned for ourselves, but we know it's what the Lord would have. Sometimes it can be a real battle and even a place of fear. Just how do we move forward in obedience to the Lord? Today, Dan Thomas, who is the director at Timberline Lodge and whom I introduced to you in episode 37, will lead us in a devotion whereby he looks at the faithfulness of Joseph in obeying the Lord in a place that Dan calls the intersection of faith and fear. I pray that you find this to be a source of encouragement as you walk with Jesus. I'm sitting here in uh, his hill in one of the guest bedrooms. It's the Gospel of John. And uh, I remember back two years ago, uh, sitting in um, not this room, actually one of the ones just down the way, the, the, the room Matthew. And it was a really unique experience. Uh, two years ago, COVID was kind of in its full uh, kicks. And um, we gathered my my wife Sarah and my three kids Keelan, Naya, and Judah um, around uh, my phone, and we had FaceTime going. And on the phone uh, was my grandma, and uh, it was my grandma, but in a, a really in a way I'd never seen her before. She was in the last um, really the last hours of her life, and had the chance to say goodbye to see her there. Um, it was uh, quite a almost shocking experience as she was right on the edge um, of this world to the next. My kids were able to, to talk to her. She was not very responsive, uh, made some noises um, that she seemed to be able to hear us and, uh, and really had this chance to say goodbye to a woman who I know obviously was super significant in my life, in the life of my, um, my family. It's interesting. I, I think about my grandma's life, and and uh, we ended up having her funeral. Uh, you know, a few weeks later, due to COVID, could only have ten guests, and um, it was beautiful. But in many ways, was not what I would have expected uh, a couple of years before, as we knew that time was coming. And uh, the interesting thing was reflecting on the contrast between my grandma's funeral, her uh, memorial service, and my grandfather's. He ended up having a couple different memorial services, one in Estes Park, one in uh, Cape and Ray Hall, where he founded Torchbearers International. Um, and, and it was such a contrast, the, the large uh, service compared to this service with just 10 people outside in Estes Park, Colorado for my grandma. 
And uh, it's interesting because I think as we reflected on it, it would have been exactly what she would have wanted. A quiet service, not a lot of uh, bells and whistles, even not a lot of people um, because she was where she's been uh, looking towards for years. I think a lot of people know my grandpa, Major Ian Thomas, and had a lot to say. And, and yet for much of the world who had read my grandpa's books and maybe been ministered to at a church service or at a conference uh, or through torchbearers, many didn't know the significance that my grandma played uh, in the background and in, in ways that only those who knew the family well, I think, understood and the significant impact that she had on the ministry of torchbearers. And this is often the case. There's those, it seems like, who have the primary focus and, and the Lord uses them in a way where um, they're center stage. And then there's so many, maybe many more, who live lives, uh, faithful lives, faith-filled lives, um, for decade after decade, um, trusting the Lord, and He does powerful work for their lives through their lives that that maybe nobody really sees. I, I think about this as this year I was uh, contemplating the Christmas story and thinking about the different characters that come up uh, during the Christmas story, and, and there's obviously certain characters that we hear about. Uh, and celebrate uh, really publicly. Obviously, Mary, Jesus, um, I think of the wise men and, and their uh, kind of elaborate gifts. And um, I spent a lot of time this year, though, thinking about the character of Joseph. Joseph, the husband of Mary. And, uh, and it's interesting because biblically, he doesn't get a lot of press. <laughs> There's not a lot said about him. The book of Mark actually never mentions Joseph. Uh, the book of John, he, he's mentioned two times. One, he's called Jesus's father. So he spoke, speaks of him in reference to Jesus, which is fair. Uh, and then secondly, in John 6, 42, there's a comment about Jesus that says, is this not the son of Joseph? And, and it wasn't really a complimentary phrase towards Joseph. It was actually saying, we know who Joseph is. And this Jesus guy doesn't seem like he would be Joseph's son because <laughs> he's doing some pretty amazing things and saying some amazing things. In the book of Matthew, it's, it, Jesus, Joseph is never mentioned outside of the birth story. Uh, the book of Luke, he's only really mentioned in a list of Jesus' descendants. And then another time, kind of that negative, is this really Joseph's son speaking about Jesus? And so it was interesting to kind of look a little bit at who is this Joseph? What do we know about him? And as I began to look at what we do know about Joseph, specifically in the book of Matthew, uh, there was a really beautiful character, a faith-filled character that came to the surface that um, has been a huge encouragement to me. If I was going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, um, that's kind of where we have our first instance of Joseph. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his man, mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I, th- I think if you would have asked me, what do I think about Joseph? What's, what's kind of his, his shining moment? I probably would have used this as the example that when, even though he had taken Mary, really, you know, a pretty serious uh, stage in their relationship to be betrothed, it was very similar to marriage. Um, and yet when he found that she was already with child, he, he could have considered it, you know, almost a, a form of adultery, uh, that, that she would have been pregnant with somebody else's child, um, definitely would have not been accepted, um, culturally. And, and she would have obviously been outside of having a child outside of wedlock. And, uh, and we hear this story and this is often what we think about that Joseph being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, plan to send her away secretly instead of making a big scene out of his love for her and care and not wanting to shame her decided he would just kind of quietly and secretly, um, have her, uh, you know, be sent away no longer to be betrothed to Joseph. Uh, But then we have this interaction with this angel in a dream. It says, Joseph has this dream and the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who's been conceived is of the Holy Spirit. And then the angel says, she'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. I'm reading through this and it was interesting because I noticed, okay, there's two commands that Joseph's given um, in relation to uh, this situation with Mary. He says, don't be afraid, you know, to take Mary as your wife. So take, take her. Don't be afraid to take her. That's the command to take. And then the second one is to call, call his name Jesus. And so as I was kind of studying through this and looking at the content that we have on Joseph in Matthew, I began reading farther down. I got to verse 24 and it says this, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. I love this, the simplicity of of Joseph's obedience. The angel says, take, and what did Joseph do? Verse 24, he took. (laughs) Take Mary, don't be afraid to take Mary. And so it says he took Mary. The angel said, call his name Jesus. And so what did he do? Well, he called. (laughs) He called his name Jesus. Now, that's not a big deal. It's it's obviously a, a beautiful picture of obedience, but it didn't really stick out too clearly for me until I kept reading. And I read through chapter two. There's the visit of the Magi. They come to visit Joseph. You know, they're they're told told to go away a different route um, so that Herod can't uh, get a hold of Jesus. He's obviously got a sinister plan to find out where Jesus is being born. And so they send the Magi away a different direction. And as they leave, Joseph has another um, experience with the angel. Verse 13 of chapter 2, it says, Now when they had gone, the Magi, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, another dream. And the angel says, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Again, you've got some commands from the angel of the Lord to Joseph. Get up, take, flee, and remain. Four simple commands, maybe not simple in in living them out, but simple in clarity. And then look at verse 14. It says, so Joseph got up and took the child 
and his mother while it was still night. So they left while it was still night, which makes me think they fled. <laughs> um, and he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what has been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Again, not, you know, earth-shattering news, but beautiful in its simplicity of obedience. The angel said, get up. Joseph got up. The angel said, take. Joseph took. The angel said, flee. Joseph fled. The angel said, remain. And Joseph remained. Then again, down in verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and says, get up. Take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Verse 21, so Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that the Archelaus the, was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. Again, there it is. The angel says, get up. The angel says, take. The angel says, go. And Joseph got up, took, and went. (laughs) Again, as I'm reading this, I thought, wow, there's not a lot there, but actually what we're given is so beautiful. Angel says, take. Joseph takes. Angel says, call. Joseph called. Angel says, get up. Joseph gets up. Take. He takes. Remain, he remains, flee, he fled, get up, take, go, he gets up, he takes, and he goes. I think it's beautiful as I'm looking and and kind of processing this picture of Joseph, I begin to wonder, would somebody say the same thing about me if they were evaluating my life? Out of all the things that could have been said about Joseph, we have so little content. In fact, a lot of people think that maybe Joseph died during Jesus' early life because he's not really mentioned, especially around the cross. We have Mary, but we don't have Joseph. And, and so when you're trying to find out who was this Joseph, the father of Jesus, the husband of Mary, what we have is that he was an obedient man. When God said, call, he called. When God said, get up, he got up. When God said, remain, he remained. And I began thinking of my life. Would that be said of me? When I think of all the things that maybe when I came to the end of my life, I'd want people to say, would someone say something as simple as when God said, speak, Dan spoke. When God said, go, Dan went. When God said, share the love of Christ, Dan shared the love of Christ. When God said, forgive, Dan forgave. Would that be me? It's interesting because as I was thinking through that, I, I was kind of processing through, well, what's going on here? What, what made Joseph so obedient? <laughs> and as I looked at it, I noticed there's a common thread throughout each of these. A common thread in each of these experiences where Joseph's called to do something and in obedience within a couple verses, Joseph's doing it. In every single one of these instances, there's an element of need, even an element of fear. We live in an area where there's ski resorts up in Winter Park, Colorado, and our specific ski resort, Winter Park Resort, is is known for the NSCD, the National Sports Center of the Disabled. 
And it's fascinating as you're skiing around at Winter Park, sometimes you'll look up the mountain and you'll hear somebody yelling uh, as they're coming down the mountain. And it may be something like left, right, sharp left, strong right. (laughs) And you're wondering who's yelling directions down the mountain. And as you look up, you notice that there's a skier with a bright orange vest on. And behind that person is another skier with a bright orange vest. And, and in either they're yelling or they have a microphone um, on both of their ears. And as you look up, you realize that one of the skiers across the front of their bib, it says in big letters, blind skier. And as they're preparing, the Sports Center for the Disabled is preparing these these racers for com- competition, potentially the Olympics, the Special Olympics or another event They're training in going around these gates and through these courses, and it's all done by hearing. As this skier typically is following behind the lead skier who can see, and that lead skier is yelling, left, and you look up, and the blind skier goes left, right, and the blind skier goes right, hard left, quick left, blind skier does a hard or a quick left, (laughs) And the obedience is immediate, just following along, trusting the one who's telling them where to go. Why do they do it? Why, when the blind um, skier hears left, does the blind skier not go right? Well, I think it's actually out of fear. That blind skier knows that along the side of the course, there's trees, there's rocks, there's moguls, there's, there's, there's potential drops and hazards. And so why does the skier... When asked to go left, go left, because he knows the need that he has to follow the voice of the one who's telling him what to do. That if he doesn't follow, the consequences could be deadly, could be dangerous. Again, as I was looking at this story with Joseph and this obedience that he carries along through this whole thing, I I noticed this kind of common thread throughout all of it. In the first instance, you've got Joseph, this this younger man. Some people think he may have been older, but whatever was going on, he finds that his the woman he's betrothed to is pregnant. Now, we're used to the story of the virgin birth. In fact, sometimes I think we kind of, in our minds, dumb it down as if it was no big deal because we know what really happened. It was the Holy Spirit. But can you imagine the fear For Joseph, as he finds out, as he sees his wife beginning to grow, as she confesses to him that she's pregnant, and the internal struggle and turmoil and wrestling that he would have gone through, the the, the moments of panic, as he's considering how to not disgrace her, but send her away secretly, and that in that place of need, in that place of, in a sense, fear and despair, the angel speaks to him, the Lord speaks to him and says, don't be afraid, but take and call. And in that place of fear, we find faith. And Joseph takes and he calls. And then the next instance, of course, we've got uh, Herod, who is trying to find this child that was born. And the angel comes and says to him, get up, take the child, flee to Egypt, Because, he says, Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. 
again, I think we, in our kind of having heard the story so many times, can lose sight of the reality that Herod was a mighty ruler, like a king. And he had power on his side, and he had wealth on his side, and he had spies and soldiers. Who's Joseph? Joseph's just a poor carpenter. But we know he's poor because actually when they have Jesus, they give the offering for Jesus that a poor couple would give. And so here we've got a poor country you know, man, a carpenter, who has no power, no authority, and yet He's got the king of Israel, Herod, with all the power of the Roman army behind him um, as they are serving, in some ways, his um, directives in Jerusalem. And, and, and they, he, Herod, is after this no-name carpenter, Joseph. I can't imagine anything more scary. <laughs> and in the midst of that point of fear, of terror, knowing that actually Herod is out for him and his child, the angel says, get up, go, take, flee. And again, you have this beautiful place where fear and faith intersect. The need that, that, that Joseph feels intersect with the supply that God provides, and the result is obedience. And of course, in the last situation, it seems like the danger's gone. <laughs> go back. You can get up, take your take take the child and his mother and go back to the land. But even in this context where he gets up and he takes and he goes, there's fear again because the son of Herod is actually ruling over the area um, and of Jerusalem, of Judea. And Joseph realizes he can't stay there. And so he obeys the Lord and goes up to Nazareth where Jesus is raised. I, I love this story. You know, there's so many layers that are beginning to come out in my mind as I think about Joseph, who, again, I, I didn't put a lot of thought to in the past. I thought about his generosity and his kindness and wanting to send Mary away without disgrace. But in reality, Joseph is this strong figure of obedience not strong because he was some, you know, bold character who stood out and, and you know, in faith, you know, fought the Goliaths of his time. <laughs> but strong in the sense of when, fate, when fear and desperation and need were knocking at his door. And he heard the, verse, he heard the voice of the Lord giving him direction. He got up. He went. He obeyed the call. It was this place where fear meets faith. I think of in my own life, that's often where I find the dilemma. I mean, there's fear, there's need, there's, there's questions. And I wonder what's going on. How did my life get to where it is? How did this relationship get to the place it is? I thought my life was supposed to be victory in Christ. How, how do I set a name for the Lord and, 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 and live out the life he's called me with so many questions and so many fears and so many uncertainties as I look towards my life and towards what's happening and in my kids and my family? How do I move forward in this place of fear? And the reality is that often that is the place where the Lord writes our story. 
That's the place where the Lord shows his faithfulness. In that place of fear, in that place of uncertainty, in that place of of clear need, it meets the place of faith, of obedience, to trust God, to say, I'll do what you ask. I'll follow your word. I'll be obedient to what you've called me to. I, I won't, you know, shrink back. I'll, I'll, I'll keep moving forward. I'll persevere. I'll keep loving my wife. I'll keep taking care of my family. I'll keep from, from cutting corners in this business deal. Even though there's pressure against me, I'll stand true to what I believe is right and what you've called me to. Even if it means I seem to fade into the background of everyone else's focus. And I believe as we do that, as we learn to have this attitude of obedience, of faith that we see in the life of Joseph, God begins to write our story. Again, as I'm sitting here at his hill and thinking back to my grandma on the phone two years ago, I think of a woman who faced a lot of fear, a lot of anxious nights, her husband gone, kids being raised, large projects in front of her. I think of a woman who who recognized her need. And I think in a way that honors the Lord and the Lord alone, she recognized the faithfulness of God. And in that place where fear was strongest, there was the intersection of faith. And God wrote her story. My prayer for myself and for those listening is that in the intersection of faith and fear, God would write the story of a faithful God who directs us into places of obedience so that he can be worshiped and glorified here in this world. You've been listening to the His Hill podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty, along with Dan Thomas, the director at Timberline Lodge in Fraser, Colorado. We hope Dan's devotional on Joseph's faithfulness and obedience from Matthew chapters one and two was uplifting and encouraging to you. Thanks again for tuning in with us this week, and don't forget to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Jesus is the best thing, and when you choose Him, you can't go wrong. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Lizzie. See you next week.